Good morning, West Park. You can turn back to Matthew chapter 7. It was the the passage that we read earlier. Uh, But while you're turning there, I want to start this morning by telling you about one of my heroes, a man named George Mueller. Have you ever heard that name? Well, George Mueller, if you don't know him, um, he lived in the 19th century in England. And nowadays, he's most famous for the orphanages that he ran during that time. So he cared um, in his lifetime for over 10,000 orphans. And this was during a time where not many people in England were doing much to take care of orphans. But, but George Mueller did. And here's what's really, what you, maybe you know about George Mueller other than that, is that as he was running these orphanages, he decided that he would never ask anyone else for help. He would never go to any other human being and ask them for money or, or anything like that to support his ministry. He made the choice for himself and for his ministries that he would instead just take every request to God. He would take his needs and he would go straight to God and ask. And here's the amazing thing. He, he took these detailed notes in his journal. And we know that Mueller, during his time, over 60 years, he recorded over 50,000 prayer requests in his journal. 50,000 prayer requests. Listen to this. 30,000 of them were, were, were answered within a day. Okay? 50,000, he asked for, ask God for something. 30,000 are answered within a day. And most of them, actually, of those 30,000, were answered within the hour. Pretty amazing, right? 50,000 prayer requests. Maybe the, maybe the most famous example. Maybe you've heard this when this appears in a lot, of, a lot of books and things like that. There was one time where uh, Mueller was at an orphanage where he had 300 orphans. And they woke up that morning and they realized that they were out of food. And so here's what he did. You know, they're about to go to, to um, they're about to eat breakfast. They're about to go to school. So what he does is he has all the orphans sit down at a table and as they're at this table, he just decides to ask God to provide. And he, he prays, and this amazing thing happens. A couple minutes later, after he prays, someone knocks on the door. And it's the local baker. And he says, Mr. Mueller, I just had this feeling last night that you were going to need bread this morning. And so I stayed up all night. I made three, um, three uh, uh, big loaves just to, to try to feed everyone. And then I kept baking and I kept baking. And I just baked a bunch of bread here for you. And I brought it. I thought you might need it. Here you go. And it fed all the orphans. And, and then here's, here's what's actually even more amazing. So the orphans sit down and they, they start eating this meal. And then there's another knock on the door. And it's the local milkman. And this milkman, his cart had been coming by the orphanage, and it had uh, just completely broken down. And and he found out that his cart was not going to be um, be repaired or be able to go. And so he was going to lose all the milk. It was going to be spoiled anyway. So he thought, well, I'm in front of the orphanage. Maybe I should ask them if they need milk. So he goes and he knocks on the door, and it turns out that there's enough milk for all 300 kids. Isn't Isn't that amazing? right? Isn't that amazing? Ben, is there anything I need to do? Sorry with the the sound. Okay, I'll pull it out. Good. Sorry about that. So 300 kids, all fed, right? All fed just because of Mueller's prayers, because he was willing to ask God to provide. If you go study George Mueller, you see a life that understood the power of prayer, the, the power of going to God and just simply asking, right? Asking, seeking, knocking, It's amazing. It's inspiring. It's why he's one of my heroes. 
But can I look at the flip side real quick before we move on? I, I love George Mueller's stories. I love his life. I love these amazing things of milkmen and, and bringing milk and bringing bread and all this. But, you know, there's a flip side to the Christian life, isn't there? That's not always the way it happens. Like we, we, there are often times in the Christian life, sometimes we have these amazing Mueller moments, as I'm going to call them. But there's sometimes that we go to the Lord and we ask, and the milkman doesn't show up. The, the baker didn't bake us any bread. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you hear that and you say, that's really inspiring, but that's not what I'm feeling right now. Let me just give you maybe a few examples. Maybe this, this you know, just capture some of the people who are in this room this morning. Picture the, the married couple, and they've made 50,000 requests to God of their own, just like George Mueller did. And they really badly want a child. They want a child to raise. They want to be parents. But after years and years and years of praying, there hasn't been a kid. They haven't been able to get pregnant. Maybe there's a man diagnosed with cancer. And his community rallies around him and prays day in and day out. And he's waiting to be healed. But it hasn't happened yet. Or maybe, maybe you've experienced this one. Maybe you have a friend who you know doesn't know Jesus. And you, every chance you get, are trying to share with them the good news of the gospel. And you know that your words can't do it. Right? God has to be the one to save them. So what do you do? Every single day you pray for that friend. And it's been decades. And it doesn't seem like anything's happening. That's the tension of the Christian life. We get the George Mueller moments. We also get these moments. And it's hard to live in that tension. Look, I just, I did this little thing, and, and this is a, a just kind of a commercial for writing down your prayer request, as Mueller did, because it really is an amazing practice. Because I did this thing this morning where, or this, this week where, as I was preparing for this, I went back and I got an old journal of prayer requests that I had written down. And it was amazing because as I'm looking through this, there were some Mueller moments in there there were, that I'd just forgotten about. I mean, look, I, you know, I think about this sometimes, but often I, I don't think about it enough. There was this amazing moment about six years ago where I was taking seminary classes up at, up at Southern Seminary, and we had a big bill coming due for those classes. And, and we seriously thought, because that bill was so high, we thought that I wasn't going to have to drop out basically at that point, because it was so much, it would have literally brought us down to about $200 in our saving account, savings account. And I have faith, but I don't know that I have the faith in order to do that, right? Like I was, I was struggling whether this was the right thing to do. And two days before that bill was going to come due, I checked my account. We'd been praying for it. I checked my account and it said paid in full by anonymous. <laughs> I still don't know who anonymous is, but it was completely paid in full two days before so I could continue taking classes. I mean, that, that's amazing, right? But then, yeah, we, yeah, give that. But it's, it's, it's wonderful. But then, look, I mean, I'll, okay, I'll be, I'll just, I'll just go there. I'll tell you what this other one was. The very next page, a couple pages over, there's one in there where we had just found out that Allie was pregnant and I was praying for a healthy baby. And that led to a, ended up having a miscarriage. Okay. So it, that's the Christian life, 
right? Like, here's this miraculous George Mueller moment, and then here's heartache. Here's a prayer for a healthy baby, and that didn't happen. You're with me, right? That we've all experienced this. This is the tension. So what I hope we can explore this morning is how do we live in that tension? How do we live in that tension as Christians? I think that's what this passage is going to help us with. And so if you'll look there to the passage we read earlier, so Matthew chapter 7, let's just start with verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay, let's stop there. So three kind of words there that describe what Jesus calls us to do. Ask, seek, and knock. I thought this was interesting. A lot of commentators point out that these are actually in ascending order of urgency, right? So you ask, and then seeking is a little bit more urgent, and then knocking is even more urgent, Okay, so I, I see, you know, I was just thinking about this. I see this basically every morning at my house. So, so we, you know, we, we wake up and typically how we do it is we wake up, I get ready, and then Allie goes and tries to get ready before I have to leave for work. And how this typically happens is one of uh, our boys or both of our boys, we have two little ones, four and one, and they decide that they need mommy. And they have a problem and they need to talk to her. So what do they do? They come to me and they say, where's mommy? They ask, where's mommy? And I say, well, she's not here right now. How can I help you? But that's not good enough, right? Like, because, you know, they want to see the manager, okay? Like, they want to see the one who's actually in charge. They know who they need to go talk to. So they, they want to go see mommy. So they've asked, what do they do next? They seek, okay? They go find out where she is. They're going to go find me. I'm like, guys, I'm right here. No, mommy, mommy. And then they find out that she's getting ready in the bedroom and the door's locked. So what do they do? They knock, okay? They knock, they knock. And then typically it goes to this next step. I come and I try to grab them and they scream, which makes me feel really awesome, right? Like, like I'm, tr- I'm really trying to help. Like, I know how to pour a glass of milk. I really do, right? But they, they, they can't help it, right? They, they know. Here's, here's what they know. They know how dependent they are. They know that they don't know. You know we could, they, don't, they can't get into the fridge because we have it locked. Okay, because they would. So we have a lock on it. They know that they can't get into the fridge. They know how dependent they are. They know that they can't do it. So what do they do? They go find someone who can. They, they urgently go find that person. And that's really the picture that Jesus is painting here. It's someone who understands their dependence on their heavenly father. It's like my boys knowing, knowing how dependent they are. We, it's, we're the same way with God, right? We, we are so dependent on him. So now take that little story about my boys and apply that to your prayer life. Is that how your prayer life is? When, when you go to God, do you understand how dependent you are on him? Because this has been the most convicting thing for me this week, is how often I forget this. How often in my prayer life you would never know that I am dependent on God. You know, this is, this, is, this is just the honest truth, I think. Many Christians live as if they were atheists. They live as functional atheists. They affirm that God exists. They affirm that he created the heavens and the earth. They affirm that the Bible is accurate. But if you looked at their prayer life, you'd never know it. 
And, and I don't want to just go any, like, let me put it back on myself. I am really ashamed <laughs> thinking about this this week, really just, just convicted about how much this is so true of me. You know, you know the Bible tells us, 1 Peter 5, 7, God says, or Peter says, and, and God says through him, cast all your anxieties on him, being God, because he cares for you. Like, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But what do I do? It's like I'm on a hike in the Smokies, and I got a backpack that's just way too heavy. And Jesus is saying, give it to me. Give, toss it over to me. And I'm like, I got it. <laughs> I can, I, you know, it's crushing me with every step, but I got it. That's my life often. You know, you know we have this tendency. We, we go to our set, we think about it you know, to ourselves with our problems. We, we worry, we lose sleep. We talk to our close friends, but we never take it to God. But he's inviting us to. He's inviting us to give us the backpack. Give him the backpack. Let me just ask, consider for yourself, what what does your prayer life say about what you believe about God? Ask yourself that. What does your prayer life say about what you believe about God? Because as I said, the boys are asking, seeking, knocking, because they know two things. They know how weak they are. They know how dependent they are. But here's the other thing they know. They know their mom. And they know how strong she is. <laughs> and they know how capable she is. And they know how much she loves them. They know how much she wants to give them what they ask for. That they won't be ignored. So what do they do? They run to her. You see this? Does that mark your life? Does that mark your prayer life? Let's move on. Let's check this out. Jesus takes things a step further. Look at verses 9 through 11. He says, of the, he says this, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? For a loving parent, it is impossible to ignore your kids, isn't it? I mean, it's just impossible. I mean, 3 a.m., you know, 20 degrees outside, you're in your warm bed, and they come in and ask for a glass of water. And everything in you says, I do not want to get up right now. But what do you do? You get up and you give them what they ask for because you love your kids, right? Because you just can't help it. There's something in you that makes you do it. Here's another example. You, you know, yeah, we just had Christmas. You know, the, the average parent in America, spends an average of $225 per kid at Christmas on gifts, okay? And we can dissect that number all a bunch of different ways. Here's what it tells me. Parents love to give gifts to their kids. That's an average. Parents love to have that feeling of their kid asking for something and them giving it to them and they're opening it and being happy. Parents love that feeling. And Jesus points that out and he says, you love that even though you're evil, <laughs> which is a bold statement, right? Even though you're evil. And, and here's, what he, here's what he means by that. We live most of our days curved in on ourselves. That's what sin does to us. We spend most of our days thinking about me, me, me. What can I get? 
How, what can, how can I make this the best situation for me? We're going to talk next week about putting others above yourself and, and doing, you know, the, the golden rule, right? We're talking about that next week. But, but the truth is most of us live basically just thinking about ourselves. But Jesus says, even though that's true of you, you still love your kids, <laughs> And you still can't help but take care of them. So think about that. How much more is that true of your heavenly father? How much more? I mean, if you're a parent here, you can picture the love you have for your child. How much more does your heavenly father love you? How much more does your heavenly father want to, to get, want us to ask him for things? So I think the application's pretty clear here, isn't it? Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to be like George Mueller. You know, here's the thing. I, I, I find this in myself. I kind of have this, this thing, and it's totally false. I kind of have this belief sometimes that as I grow in spiritual maturity, I'm going to graduate past asking for stuff. Right? It's like, it's like that's what kids do. That's what we teach our little boys to do is to ask God for things. But when you grow in spiritual maturity, you don't do that anymore. That's nonsense. Okay? Because even as we grow in spiritual maturity, we never grow past being dependent on God. Right? You know this? Look at, look at the Lord's Prayer. What is it? It's mostly asking for things. Because we know that He is God and we are not. And so the encouragement is clear. Be a little bit more like George Mueller. <laughs> Go to God with your 50,000 requests. Go to Him. Ask Him. He invites us to do that. But we can't stop there. We already talked about it, right? This is all true. But there's the tension. Okay? Because we go to him and we ask, but we don't always feel like we've been answered. Okay? I mean, the, the, the challenge of this passage is if you read it and you think that Jesus is giving us a magic incantation to get anything we want. Right? If you read it like that, then you're going to be very disappointed. You're going to think that prayer doesn't actually work because it simply doesn't work like that. And one of the most painful parts of the Christian life are those unanswered prayers. So that's what I'm going to spend the rest of the time talking about. So that's, look, go to God, trusting, ask him, be like the child going to his loving parent. But what about when the prayer goes unanswered? And I give you three encouragements, okay. three encouragements for when the prayer goes unanswered. Here's number one. We need to remember this. We don't want God to give us everything we ask for. We don't, okay? You do not want that job. You do not want that power. Because here's the thing. He is God, and you are not. And he is working with 10 trillion data points that you know nothing about. So you would be a really bad God. If you could get anything that you wanted by asking, that would not be a good thing. I mean, think about this. Jesus says God won't give us a serpent when we ask for a fish. But you know what we often do? Ask for serpents. Okay? They look like fish. We think they're fish. But in that moment, when we ask for a serpent, God is doing an extremely loving thing, not giving it to us, isn't he? Amen. He's doing it. That, that is what a good father does. I wish I just had a list of the thing my four-year-old asked me for. Because 90% of them would just hurt him. Okay? Like they're, they're horrible. And in, as a loving father, I don't give them to him. So often, unanswered prayers are a really loving thing. I mean, look, the renowned theologian Garth Brooks got it exactly right. 
when he sang that song about, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Okay, go listen to that. I could have been in the worship set this morning. That would have been awesome, by the way, with the whole jazz thing. But, well, I mean, sometimes we thank God for unanswered prayers. We thank God that he didn't give us the serpent that we asked for. That's number one. Here's number two, encouragement number two. Keep praying and don't give up. Keep praying and don't give up. There's this parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18, and it really makes the same point as our passage this morning. Basically how the parable goes is that there's this widow who um, has had someone, do, has had someone wrong her, and she goes to this judge to try to get justice, but the judge is a really nasty guy, and he wants nothing to do with this widow. And so she just is persistent, though. She's persistent. She keeps knocking, and she keeps knocking, and she keeps knocking. And the point is, Jesus says, the judge is eventually going to give in. <laughs> now, we can't misunderstand that. He's not calling God an evil judge. It's the, the same thing here. If an evil judge will give someone something when they ask for it that much, then can't we just know that our Heavenly Father is listening to us? Can't we be assured that He is not ignoring us when we go to Him and ask Him for something that we need? So Luke actually tells us why he told the, the, the parable. It says this, Luke 18, 1. He says, Then Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Jesus knew something about us, that we are tempted to pray and then give up. Okay. We're tempted to, have to pray one time, and then say, well, that didn't work, and give up. <laughs> but he's asking us here to be persistent. Remember George Mueller, 50,000 requests, 30,000 of them are answered in one day. But what's that mean for 20,000 others? They weren't quick. And there's actually stories of this. Do you know George Mueller decided to pray every single day for five people to come to know Jesus? There was one guy, it took praying every day for 52 years before that guy finally came to know Jesus. So he had his share of in-the-minute moments, right? The milkman showing up at his door. And he, had, he was willing to be persistent for 52 years to just keep praying. You know, Frank Laubach has this, this amazing illustration. He says, sometimes in prayer, what we're called to do is just throw stones into a swamp. Picture that. You picture it, you're standing at a swamp, and you pick up a stone, and you throw it in. What's going to happen? In your mind, nothing. <laughs> okay? You throw, the, you throw the stone, it goes into the swamp, you can't see it, it disappears. And imagine you throw hundreds. You throw thousands. Maybe you throw hundreds of thousands, and you just keep throwing. What's eventually going to happen? A rock is going to hit, and it's not going to sink. Why? Because the swamp is filled. Sometimes that's what God is calling us to, to just keep throwing stones in the swamp, to just keep being persistent, to just stay on our knees praying to Him. Sometimes that's the invitation. Can I, get, can I give you an example of what this could look like, a specific example? Okay. What if I asked you, Christians in the room, what if I asked you, would you like revival to come to Knoxville? Would you like revival to come to Knoxville? And, and let me let me just give you a definition of what I mean by revival, because a lot of people mean different things when they say that, okay? Here's the, here's the definition I'm using, okay? This is a, Tim Keller says, every time there's been a revival in church history, four things happen. There are four characteristics of every revival. So first of all, a revival is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, 
Okay? It's not something that we can manufacture. It's something that he does. Okay? And when, if you want to identify a, a, a revival, here's the four characteristics that happen. First of all, the gospel is recovered. The gospel is recovered. Here's what that means. There are people who have been blinded to the gospel, and all of a sudden they have eyes to see. There are Christians who have heard the gospel preached over and over and over again, and they grow bored with it, and all of a sudden they recapture how beautiful it is. That's something that happens. The gospel is recovered. Second, repentance is normalized. People begin seeing the depth of their sin and turning to Jesus. They begin to see how dependent and powerless they are, and they turn to Jesus. Even people in the church start to see that in a new way. He says, you know, Tim Keller says that in a, in a revival, it's typically like the deacons of the church who start standing up and repenting of, of things. It's the ones who are the, the godliest people in the church are standing up, realizing freshly how sinful they actually are. Three, corporate worship is anointed. Okay? You know this, God is present with us when we come together to worship him. He, he, he is here, but often we forget that. Often the last person we expect to find in a worship service is God himself. But in a revival, typically what happens is people see this in a fresh new way. They understand, they, they feel the presence of God in a way they haven't felt before when the church gathers. And then fourth, finally, disciples are multiplied. Disciples catch the vision of what it means to follow Jesus, and they go out and they live out the Great Commission, right, to go and make disciples, okay? See those four things. Anyone not want that, okay? Any, anyone not want that to happen in our city? Anyone not want that to happen in our country, in our world? Well, how's it happen? How, how does that happen? Here's the interesting thing. We can go back through history because this has happened a lot more times than you think, okay? There are a lot of stories of this happening. You know how it always happens? There's a small remnant of people, and they decide we're going to keep asking for that until it comes. There's a small remnant of people that say, we're going to stop complaining that everyone else isn't praying enough, and we're going to do it ourselves. <laughs> and we're going to come together with another group of people within the church, and we're going to get on our knees day after day after day. And we are going to pray that the Holy Spirit works. That's how this happens. Okay? That's not easy right? The easier thing is just to throw up your hands and say, whatever, right? The easiest thing is to give up. That's why Jesus told us that parable, because he knows that we'll be tempted to give up on prayer. But let me ask, okay, what if we didn't? What if, what if we didn't give up? What, what if we just decided that we're going to just keep throwing stones into the swamp? What if there was a small group of people from this church who committed themselves to praying for revival in Knoxville. And, and hey, don't hear me wrong. I'm not even saying it has to come through West Park. It can come through another great church in Knoxville. That, but, but what if we just prayed that God worked and started to move in Knoxville so we could see these things? And you know, there's no guarantee that it would happen in a day. There's no guarantee that it would happen in a week. There's no guarantee that it would happen in a decade. It may be your great, great grandkids are the ones who actually experience what you're praying for. But is it worth it? Yeah, yes, right? Like, yeah. Is it worth it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I hope people do that. Okay. Like, that would be great. People should really do that. Can, can, I, can I point something out to you? Look at what Jesus says. 
Okay, here's what he says in our passage. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Who? Everyone. <laughs> and when he says everyone, he means it. Okay? If you look back at, at revivals, you know a lot of them have been started on college campuses with college students getting together in dorm rooms, praying for this to happen. A lot of them have taken place. There's a big one that happened in New York with a bunch of businessmen that started getting together on their lunch break. There was one that happened in the 50s in Scotland because two 80-year-old sisters got together and decided to pray every day for the generations coming up behind them. Anyone, right? That, that's, that's the spectrum right there. Isn't it? I mean, it could be teenagers. It could be kids. It can be anyone who enters into this. So here's the question. Will anyone take up that call? I mean, if we want it, we got to pray for it. Will anyone take up that call? You know, we have this week of prayer this week, this intentional week of prayer. Pastor Sam talked about that. We're starting tonight with a prayer gathering where we're going to gather here in this room at 5 o'clock and start praying. What if that was the start of something? Right? And maybe tonight it's a lot of us. Maybe it eventually shrinks down to just a handful. But what if there were just at least a few of us who committed to keep on throwing those rocks into the swamp? Think about it, okay? Think about it. Think about it. Now, final encouragement for unanswered prayer. So we've talked about two so far. Here's number three. Trust your Father. Trust your Father. What do, what do we do when prayers go unanswered? We have to trust our Father. Let me take you to, to a Bible passage here that really captures this tension. Um, there's a passage in, in Acts 12, and here's what you probably know about Acts 12. There's this miraculous story where Peter is arrested, and he's in jail, and he's about to be killed. And an angel comes into the jail cell, remember this, wakes him up, walks him out. And it's amazing, the church is actually gathered together praying for him, and Peter knocks on the door. Okay? They know he's about to die, and he knocks on the door, and it's like, I'm out here, you're going to let me in? He crashes his own prayer meeting. It's, it's amazing. But here's the interesting thing. That's an amazing story, an amazing story about the power of prayer. We often forget the context, though. We often forget about what happened right before it. And I want you to look at this. Here's, here's Acts 12, 1 through 3. It says this. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. You see what happened here? Okay. Before Peter was arrested, James was arrested. And we're not told specifics, but what do you think the church did when James was arrested? I bet they gathered together just like they did for Peter, and I bet they asked, and they sought, and they knocked. And what happened? James died. James died. So right before this, we have another, you know, there's, there's three disciples who were the closest to Jesus. Two of them are James and Peter. James dies. Peter is miraculously freed from jail. That's confusing. <laughs> like, it's, it's confusing, right? But notice what the church does. They pray for James. It seemingly it doesn't work. He dies. And then Peter is arrested. And what do they do? Here's verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You see this? That's faith. 
They just, had to, they just went to prayer for James. It didn't work. Now Peter is arrested. What do they do? They just keep on praying. <laughs> they just trust their father. They, they didn't lose faith in God. They just went back to prayer. And so here's the thing. I mean, this is the Christian life often. This is the Christian life. You know, we, there's times where persistence doesn't really matter anymore because it just it didn't work, right? Like there's no need to have persistence for James because James is dead. And unfortunately, that, that's our story sometimes. We, we pray persistently for a loved one to recover from an illness, but they still die. We pray for kids, but sometimes it never happens. We pray for the salvation of people who don't know Jesus, and sometimes they die not knowing Jesus, even if we pray for 52 years. So here's my question. How do we continue to trust our Father in those moments? Because they're hard, aren't they? How do we continue to trust in those moments? Here's two things. First of all, let me remind you, we don't always have the answer to the why, but we always have the answer to the where. Here's what I mean by that. We don't always have the answer to the why. Why did James die? I don't know. The early church didn't know. (laughs) There's no way they knew. It wasn't that Jesus liked one better than the other. We know that. Why did James die? We don't know. Oftentimes, when our prayers go unanswered, we don't know why, but we know where. And here's what I mean by that. We know where God is right here with us. He hasn't left us. He's promised that. It may feel like it, but he is right here with us. It's interesting. In our prayers, often what we do, here's what I heard one pastor say, often what we do in our prayers is we pray that God would airlift us out but instead what he does is he parachutes in to sit right beside us. It's Psalm 23 in action, right? He doesn't doesn't airlift us out of the valley of the shadow of death. He walks right through with us as our shepherd. So here's the thing. You may feel like you got not the answer that you wanted. You may feel like God ignored you, but but that's not true. Because the best answer that God can possibly give is to give you himself. And he always does that. Okay? That's, that's the promise. He always does that. He always says, I will never leave you or forsake you or abandon you. He walks through the valley with you. You see this? So we don't always know the why, but we do always know the where. And here's one last thing, and, I, and I'll close with this. I always take great strength in this. The fact that Jesus had prayers go unanswered. You know that? Jesus had prayers go unanswered. Go, go here with me. It's the night before he dies, right? The night before he goes to the cross, and he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Can you picture this? He is kneeling down, praying, calling out to his father, screaming out for his father. It says that he is so distressed in that moment that he is sweating blood. That's how distressed he is about what's about to happen because he knows that on the cross, all of our sin is going to come down on him. He knows that that is coming. He knows what he's about to take for us. And do you remember his prayer? He says this, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I mean, translation, if there's another way to do this, let's do it. He knew what was coming, but the night before, he's sitting there, he said, if there's another way, God, can we please do it? 
Like, but can I notice, can I show you here what Jesus does in this prayer? Look at the second word. Second word. My father. What does he do? As he goes to, to, to God with this prayer, what does he do? He anchors himself in God's love. He anchors himself that in the fact that even if this goes unanswered, and even if I don't understand it, you're my father, no matter what. And you're with me, right? That's what we do. We anchor ourselves in our father and his love and how much he's proven that for us. And can I also picture this? Or actually, can I also point out this? Praise God that that prayer went unanswered. Can you imagine if God had answered that prayer? It wouldn't have been good for us, would it? Because Jesus had lived the life we couldn't live. He goes to the cross to die the death we deserve, and then he rises again. Praise God that that prayer went unanswered. Right? So look, if you, if you say, hey, I'm coming in here, and I, I don't know why my husband still died. I don't know why my wife still died after all the prayers that I prayed, or my child still died, or whatever it may be. Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know the why. But it doesn't mean that God has forsaken you. It doesn't mean that he's not with you. And we can, we can follow what Corey Ten Boom said. I love this. She said, when a train goes through a dark tunnel, that's not the time to jump off. That's the time to try your best to just sit still and trust the conductor. And our conductor is trustworthy. You know that? Our conductor is trustworthy. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that that is true, that even though life can be hard, um, we can be confused about what you're doing in different situations. We can't understand. Allow us to be a people that will trust, that uh, can, even when we can't trace your hand, will look to your heart and know that you love us, that you're here for us, that you're walking with us as our shepherd. Lord, let us be, just give us that peace. And I just pray specifically for anyone who's just going through something right now where they're hurting and they're confused and they don't understand why things didn't happen the way they wanted to. I pray that you will just give them a sense of your love like they've never experienced before. And use us as a community to rally around them so they can experience your love through us. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.